your brand and what you do and who you are and how you make a difference. That's what matters. You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 71 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Have you ever wondered how you can become a professional dog mom? And is it possible to build a business around your love of dogs that's successful enough to support you and your dogs? Today, we are going to be joined by one of my favorite dog moms in the business, Tori Mystic. Tori is the founder of a blog called Wear, Wag, Repeat. We're going to hear the story today behind where that name came from. Wear, Wag, Repeat is an award-winning multimedia brand dedicated to helping women live their best lives with their dogs, both as pet parents and as petpreneurs. Tori's word for entrepreneurial dog moms starting businesses in the pet industry. And Tori is a legit professional dog mom. What started as a blog to be a creative outlet for her has turned into a full-time business supporting herself and her two dogs, Lucy and Bert. Tori and I cover so much ground in our conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. But before we get started, first I want to tell you about one of my favorite products to keep your dog happy and healthy. I know February was Pet Dental Health Month, but we really need to think about our dog's dental health all year round. I recently learned that 80% of our dogs over three years old have active dental or periodontal disease. And dental disease is actually a sign of other inflammation in the body and can be connected to everything from cardiovascular problems, kidney problems, fatty liver disease, diabetes, certain types of cancers, joint disease, pulmonary conditions. Your dog's dental health actually can affect everything in their body. And you know that I am obsessed with finding the best and healthiest products for our dogs. So I was so excited to find out about Teef. That's right, Teef. Just a tiny spoonful of Teef powder in your dog's water bowl will make a huge improvement in your dog's dental health. It's the only thing that ever made my vet stop and go, hey, what did you do with Penny's teeth? They actually look so much better. So forget trying to figure out how to get your dog's teeth brushed without them biting you. Forget those sticks or green shoes. What you need is teeth powder, just a tiny amount in your dog's water bowl. And listeners of this podcast can save 20% on your teeth order with the code ADM. And you'll be on your way to a healthier smile for your dog without any anesthesia needed. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more about teeth and save 20% on your orders. So Tori first came on my radar Back in 2019, I had to go back and look. She had a veterinarian named Dr. Judy Morgan on her podcast, and I was getting emails from Dr. Judy Morgan and saw 
oh, she was featured on this podcast called Wear, Wag, Repeat. I have to go check this out. I'll be honest, this is the first dog podcast that I ever listened to. I joke with Tori, but it's absolutely true. Before that, I pretty much just thought podcasts were for true crime. But then I started binging Wear, Wag, Repeat and hearing the stories of all these different women in the pet industry. And I was really excited. And in some ways, it's probably partially responsible for me then being motivated to start my own podcast that I thank you for listening to right now. And then over time, I took some of Tori's online classes to teach you how to use things like Instagram and Pinterest for your business or your podcast. And then I joined Tori's monthly membership group for women in the pet industry. And every month she's teaching us amazing things about how to use email and blogging. And so if you have any kind of business in the pet industry, Tori is such a wealth of information. And you're going to hear today about how she got started down this path as a career and all the pivots she's made along the way. And I find it really inspiring for somebody who wants to create a career around your passion. And is it possible? And yes, yes, it is. Because here's an example of somebody who's doing it. And I think sometimes we need to see those examples because it helps us see what's possible for us too. And I do want to mention one thing before we get started. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, you know that I usually start off by asking about somebody's childhood experiences with animals. Because I am not somebody who grew up with pets and didn't even know that I liked dogs until I was 25. And I'm just always so curious what that looks like for other people. And while Tori will share about a lot of the fun and joyful times that she had with pets in her early life, she is going to share the story of two dogs that her family had that were lost very unexpectedly. And so I do want you to take care while listening to the first 10 minutes or so of Tori and I talking. I'm really so incredibly appreciative and grateful to Tori for opening up and being this vulnerable to share these stories with us. But it's definitely not all sad. And I have great news for all of my Baltimore friends. Even though Tori's from Pittsburgh, she's not a Steelers fan. She's actually just not a football fan at all. So don't worry. She won't be waving any terrible towels in our direction. So now let's get started with professional dog mom, Tori Mystic. So we are here today with one of my favorite people, Tori Mystic. Tori, how are you? Hey, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. I have so much I want to talk to you about. You just have so much going on. I just can't wait to dive in. <laughs> I do too many things, let's be honest. But I love everything that I do, so it's like hard to cut back. So I'm, ha I'm happy to talk about dogs, dog business, whatever you want. All the we're going to talk about it all. <laughs> So I usually like to start out by asking somebody about their childhood experiences with animals. And uh, a lot of people know, like, I did not grow up really with animals. But, you know, there's actually a story that I haven't shared before that uh, we had two birds when I was growing up. And my brother had an accident with one of the birds that resulted in the bird passing away. And it was really sad. And when I look back on it now, sometimes I think, like, my parents really should have gotten us, like, some therapy or something, especially my brother, because it was really upsetting for him. I think he was, like, in middle school when this would have happened. And it was a complete and utter just accident, just accident. So 
you sent an email and I actually went and found it before we started talking. It was in September of 2021. So I mean, like over a year and a half ago, where you shared about some sad childhood experiences that happen with your dogs in your early years. And honestly, number one, I thought it was so brave to share these stories because it's upsetting, you know, to, to talk about these things. And, you know, number two, I thought that it was brave that you still want to have dogs and still want to have pets be a part of your life. Because honestly, like, I kind of know how I am. Like, I feel like that would have been like, oh, nope, never having a dog, never having a pet. And I just wanted to ask you to share whatever you're comfortable with sharing about some of those early experiences. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to. And and thanks for thinking that I'm brave just sharing my life. But I guess, okay, let me backtrack because it's not all sad. I swear, you guys. <laughs> um, we also – we had a couple parakeets growing up. Nothing nothing tragic happened to them, but one of them died kind of unexpectedly. I think I, I was really young. They were really my older sister's birds, um, and she's seven years older than me. So I was pretty young when one of them died, and my mom – I remember she made the babysitter <laughs> – take because my parents both worked a lot. And uh, so she made the babysitter take the parakeet to the vet to have an autopsy done (laughs) to make sure it wasn't going to – it wasn't anything that the other bird was going to die from. And we wanted to bury the bird in our backyard because that's what you did back then. And the the vet wouldn't give us the bird back because they're like, you don't want it. (laughs) Um, It's like, you're not going to want this. And so – we just learned, like my sisters and I just learned maybe five years ago <laughs> that my mom had buried a shoebox full of rocks. <laughs> oh. Not There was no bird. There was just a rock in the shoebox. And we just found that out like a couple of years ago. And so we were like, I can't believe you did that. You, Everything was a lie. <laughs> I appreciate the gesture. Her heart was in the right place. It was. So, I mean, I guess that is kind of that's not the, the most um, uplifting story. But we did – we had cats growing up that were wonderful and we, we had a cat that uh, had kittens and we found homes for all the kittens and it wasn't until I was maybe 13 that we got dogs. And my aunt actually got a chocolate lab and then uh, she got a – she had a female first then she got a male and she decided that she – was really passionate about the breed and wanted to become a breeder. And she she did everything by the book and had all the health testing. And it wasn't just like random <laughs> puppies, but she did everything really well. And she had this puppy of Chocolate Lab um, or this litter of Chocolate Lab puppies. And uh, we got a dog from that first litter. The thing is, my aunt actually lived in England. And England is, first of all, a rabies-free country. And, you know, I think that their strains of their different vaccines might be slightly different than the vaccines that we have here. And so we actually had to transport the Parvo vaccine um, over. When we flew to get the puppy, uh, his name was Toby, we transported um, Parvo vaccine in like a cooler bag with us. Oh, wow. Um, and so that he could have like the proper vaccine. Like we talked to our vet here, you know, what would they need? We might have taken rabies. I don't know what we did, but we took some vaccines there because 
the vet in the UK just didn't have the same things that that we would need here for puppies. Anyhow, I don't know what happened, if it was a bad batch or or, or what happened, but Toby uh, ended up getting really sick when he was like 11, 10 or 11 months old. And um, he got had parvovirus, but we did not know that at the time. Um, we went to the vet and they said, oh, it's probably kennel cough because uh, he's been vaccinated and all this stuff. So they gave some steroids or antibiotics or whatever, and that kind of like boosted him up for like a week. And then he got really, really sick again. And um, he ended up, we took him to the vet and then we never came home <laughs> from the vet. So um, that was that was Toby. And so he passed away before he was a year old. And everyone was devastated. You know, my aunt was devastated. Our whole family was devastated. Um, but she decided to have another litter of puppies um, to get us another puppy. And this time uh, we – my mom decided we would get two puppies <laughs> just to be safe. We would have backup or I don't know. I don't know what the thinking was, but somehow we convinced her that we were going to get two puppies from the, from the next litter. And so we did, we got Gunner and Lola. And again, um, you know, they were born in the UK and we transported them back. Uh, and it was really exciting and wonderful. And um, when they were a little over a year old. Um, my one of my stepsisters, who's older than us, um, you know, we were all at work or school or whatever, and she would come in the middle of the day and um, let the dogs out. Or I think they were still eating lunch at that time. I can't remember. And she came in um, to where we were living, and she discovered that um, the dogs had been wrestling and playing with their collars on when no one was home. And Gunner's collar had gotten wrapped around Lola's lower jaw and um, he's strangled. Um, so she she was the one who discovered that scene. So that was pretty oh sad for her yeah. and um, pretty sad for all of us. And uh, Lola, you know, she was, she was okay, I guess, after that. Like I sometimes I just think about like – you know, how hard that must have been for her to go through that. And there's no really way to to talk to her about yeah. it <laughs> or ask her how she feels or if she remembers it or anything like that. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it, that was definitely hard. And um, I've heard of accidents like that happening before. And it's such a reminder. And honestly, in my early days of being a dog mom, I heard a story like this with a pit bull and we've kind of always had like a no collar in the house rule because of that, especially when we had Lucy and Kahlua and we would let, they stayed out together. You know, they, they didn't go in there in the later, later years In the early years, Kahlua was really on, but in the later years, you know, they would stay out together and we purposely never kept collars on them in the house because of that. So, I mean, yeah. So ever ever since then, we're definitely no collar in the house household, and I just get really nervous. Like I don't even leave a bandana on them if I'm leaving them home alone. I don't leave anything on them. Yeah. Um. And and of course, I think the safest thing for for someone that has, especially two young dogs or two dogs who like to play and wrestle, you know, would be to crate them separately when you're yeah. gone. I, I mean, I would go to every precaution <laughs> yeah. after going through that. 
you know, Lucy and Bert, they just kind of roam free in the house when I'm gone, usually, because they're not they're not like just wrestling randomly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, you really have to kind of know your dog, get to have that level of trust with them. Uh, with Nino, honestly, like we would let him out, but he loves the crate. And I think it makes him very anxious to not be in the crate when oh, we're yeah. not here. So even like sometimes I'll have to like run up to Rade Aid on the corner and I'll leave him out. And I just feel like he gets very unsettled, you know? And so, uh, yeah, he always, he puts himself in the crate. If he sees me doing my makeup, he just goes and gets in the crate because he knows that means I'm leaving the house. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's always been our deal with Nino. Lucy actually really likes being in a crate too. I just I don't my house is like not really set up really well because they're big dogs in a big crate and I just don't really have a good spot to leave one up all the time so we kind of go through stages where I'll have one up and and Lucy loves to go in there by herself uh and then Bert even though they're 11 um he Bert's always had kind of like separation anxiety and uh recently this earlier this year we were staying at an Airbnb and I went out. It was in the it was in the winter, so I, I went down somewhere where I could go snowboarding. <laughs> and so I went out snowboarding for the day, and I came back, and Bert had like been, I don't know, biting or clawing at the blinds on the windows. Oh no! Which he's never done before, and they've been fine. All kinds of places I've left them. Um, and this house was dog friendly, and I, I didn't think anything of it. And so I was like, oh no. So um, so now Bert is working on some crate training <laughs> so that the next time we go away, that doesn't happen. And luckily those people were super understanding. They were like, honestly, come back anytime. We'd love to have you again. But like I I paid for new blinds, uh, of course, but they were really, really nice about it. <laughs> oh, Bert. Yeah, I know. Still getting into trouble. And so Lola had a good long life with you though, right? Yes. So Lola, after we lost Gunner, um, Lola still had a, had a wonderful life. Um, I, I actually dated someone for years who had a yellow lab and uh, his name was Dirks, was the dog, not the guy. <laughs> and um, Lola and Dirks were best buds for a really long time. And then when Lola was nine years old is when I got Lucy as a little puppy. And uh, so she got to kind of show her the ropes and stuff. And Lola made it to like 13 and a half. Yeah, that's amazing for a big dog. Yeah. 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 So she, she had a good life. Uh, and she really just ultimately kind of passed from, from old age and really old age related things. So – I knew you online from online, and I was trying to look back and try to figure out how I even like found you. And I think it was actually when you had Dr. Judy Morgan on your podcast, and I follow her, and she had shared about it, and that's when I'm like, "Oh, podcasts aren't just for true crime. <laughs> There's dog <laughs> podcasts." Because I think up until that point, all I had listened to was like serial and all these other related true crime podcasts. And sure. that was the first time I was like, oh, there's dog podcasts. Oh, I got to get on this, you know, and and started listening to your podcast. So I have found it so fascinating as I've gotten to know you a little more and like learned about your career trajectory. And I was wondering if you would take us through a little bit. I'm always curious, what did you want to be when you were a little kid and were growing? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
Oh my gosh, Erin, when I was a little girl, and actually I have like a picture of myself as, I don't know, like a two-year-old or something um, that I look at as I'm podcasting. And um, when I was little, I wanted to be a fashion designer and a veterinarian. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And I feel like I'm kind of doing it, like not exactly, but um, I am working with pets and I did have kind of a fashionista phase not so much anymore, but um, that's kind of how I got into blogging was I thought I was going to be a fashion blogger and I ended up becoming a dog blogger. So I think it it, it kind of did all work out. It's important to look back and, and think about what you wanted to be when you were little. <laughs> so you were never like, oh, I want to be into marketing. <laughs> well, then I saw, you know what? Okay. When I was, well, I don't know, in high school or something, I saw the movie Jerry Maguire Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I don't I don't want to be a sports agent, but I was like, maybe I could be like an agent for fashion designers. I didn't know if that was a thing. I was really into fashion, <laughs> but I didn't want to personally be a designer. And I was like, oh, maybe I could be like Jerry Maguire for fashion designers. And so I actually I went to school for fashion promotion. At the time, there was only two two universities in the world that even offered this and neither of them were in the US. So I went to school in London for a year and I studied fashion promotion, which was like marketing, public relations, um, radio and TV broadcast, and journalism all related to fashion. And it was really, really interesting. And then I I did that for a year and then I came back to Pittsburgh where I live and, and finished up my degree here. And I did, I did not, not know that. I did not become Jerry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I watched The Firm and read the book and wanted to be a lawyer. And that's not necessarily a great uh, <laughs> idea of what being a lawyer is like. So I get it. By the way, you are not just like a fashionista. I actually saw that you were like one of the most fashionable people in Pittsburgh. And the person ahead of you was Mike Tomlin's wife. And I was like, wow, if that's like the only person in the city more fashionable than you, that's pretty amazing. For anybody who doesn't know, Mike Tomlin is the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yeah, his wife is gorgeous and very fashionable. And I mean, to yes. be right up there with her. I'm Kia like, wow. Tomlin, she has a fashion line. I think it might be called Kia Tomlin. I'm not sure. I can't remember what her line is called. But yeah, she has a really cool line of clothes. And um, she's very stylish. And I've met her many times. And uh, yeah, there was a local newspaper that did like best of or something edition, you know. And they were like the most stylish people in Pittsburgh. And it was me and Kia. Kia was one. I think I was two. And then third was this guy, Richard Parsakian, who owns the coolest vintage store in town. That's pretty awesome. I have to tell you, because I'm from Baltimore, and I don't know if you know this, but you know, there's like a huge rivalry between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I've heard about it. <laughs> when I first found out you're from Pittsburgh, I'm like, oh, uh-oh. She's going to be like, oh, you're from Baltimore? And then you're like, oh, I don't even watch football. And I'm just like, I think I love that about her. <laughs> I am like one of the only Pittsburgh people that on like Steelers Sunday, I'm like, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to Home Depot. I'm doing all the things where like, because everyone's at home watching the game and I'm just out living my best life. <laughs> You don't have a terrible towel or anything? <laughs> I mean, I own a terrible towel. And I think you're not allowed to live here without that. But I don't really uh, – I don't wave it around that much. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you started your blog, Wear, Wag, Repeat, and it was both fashion and dogs. Is that right? Yes. So Wear, Wag, Repeat started off as I wear it, they wag it, and then we repeat. And that was my tagline. And I had no idea that I would be sitting here 10 years later and it would be my full-time job and grown into what it is. Had I known that, I think I would have chosen a name that was less of a tongue twister. (laughs) But it's okay. I think so many people get really caught up on the name of things and the name really does not matter that much. It's like, you know, your brand and what you do and who you are and how you make a difference and that's what matters. So yeah, so it's still wear or wag repeat, even though um I mean I, I still wear clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but um I'm not really doing like outfit photos anymore. And so take us through the evolution of of how you started to how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I first discovered blogging when I was studying fashion promotion in London. And we had some class, it might have been a journalism class, where we had to create a blog for class. And I was like, I don't even under- I was I didn't even understand the assignment. I was like, what do you mean? Like what are we gonna even write about? Like I just couldn't really get it. And I ended up starting a blog either as that project or maybe after that. I started an eco-friendly fashion blog and I was blogging about eco-friendly fashion and I was buying stuff at thrift stores and then repurposing it and making things into other things and um, kind of interviewing eco-friendly fashion designers. I went to Vancouver one time to go to Eco Fashion Week. Oh, wow. And as like a media person. And uh, so I did that for a little while and then I kind of got a little bit over it because at the time, fashion blogging was getting more popular and everyone was doing all these like shopping hauls, which they still do. And, you know, buying all this stuff and like keeping it or returning it or whatever. But it was all just like, buy, 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 get all this new stuff. And I just didn't see where my blog fit in. Uh, Especially I was like, how am I going to make money off of this? Because I'm not telling anyone to buy anything new. I'm like, repurpose old things. And, And so, I don't know. I just couldn't couldn't really make it work long term for me at the time. And so I stopped that blog. And um, at the time, I was doing social media management for local businesses. So after college, I worked for a little bit at an ad agency. And uh, they started pitching me to their clients as a social media expert. (laughs) And I was like 22. And I was like, Okay, sure. Challenge accepted. Did that just mean you were the young person that knew what the Facebook was? <laughs> yeah. Well, it means I was really bored and I hated my job and I would sit <laughs> I would sit on my computer and look at Twitter and Facebook all day and they're like she's the social media expert. Um so then I saw how much they were billing their clients for like what I was doing, but I didn't get any extra money. Right. I didn't get a raise or anything. Right. And I was like, this is bullshit. Um, sorry, am I allowed to say that on You can say whatever you want. And so I I was traveling. I, I was traveling on some kind of trip and I told my boss at the ad agency, I was like, I'm going on this trip. And they're like, if you go on that trip, you're not going to have a job when you come back because you've missed too many days or whatever. And I was like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I went on the trip and I came back and I started my own business doing social media management and charging people what the ad agency was charging. (laughs) And that worked out really well for like 10 years. 
And as I was doing that, I was, you know, getting really good at growing my clients' followings. And one day I was like, why am I not doing this for myself? And that's kind of how I came up with the idea of starting a new blog. And, you know, I still was into fashion, but I was really into my dogs. I, I think I just had Lola, but I was on the verge of getting Lucy because I've had Lucy pretty much as long as I've had my blogs. So that's that's kind of how Wagger Peak got started. I'm sorry, it's such a long-winded story, but I kind of I went to a fashion blogging conference in New York City just to kind of like learn what was new in, in the blogging world, and I I thought I was going to blog about like fashionable people who have dogs. Uh, it's not what I ended up doing at all. And yeah, I don't know. The rest is history. I I just kind of implemented all the social media stuff I was doing for my clients to grow my own following and kind of in the early days amassed a really big Instagram following, you know, in relation to other things. But yeah. And, and I think I've been full-time with Wear Pete for like four or five years. Yeah. I think it's a fascinating story and I love, you know, cause I'm, I'm still kind of new to some of this and you know, and I'm like a few years older than you, you know, so like I am not somebody that grew up with the internet or social media. And I'm also just kind of like a more private person. And so the idea of like putting myself out into the world, even when I started the podcast, was very uncomfortable for me. And so, I mean, I have learned so much from you. I don't always have the opportunity to implement it, but I have learned so much. And I love hearing kind of like all of the pivots along the way. And I had this idea and I had that idea. And I kind of like hearing about that because any of us that have an idea that we start with, sometimes we get so caught up in like, well, what would this look like? And it's like, oh, it's totally okay to pivot and to you know keep trying new things, do different things. By the way, I had this funny thought when you were talking that uh, that my fashion blog would be called Jeans and a Hoodie. <laughs> and every day it would just be in jeans and a hoodie. And half the time the hoodies are the same because I have like three. <laughs> I would follow that blog. <laughs> I feel like that is the best way to describe Aaron's style, jeans and a hoodie. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, I, I, I don't wear jeans and a hoodie every day because it's usually leggings because the jeans, I'm like, it's too tight. So it's usually like leggings and a hoodie. Uh, so that would be my new blog too. <laughs> I remember I have uh, I have cousins that are all all four boy cousins and they're all several years older than me. And my aunt is very much like a girly girl. And I I feel like I can remember very vividly from being a girl. I wasn't like a tomboy in the sense of like sports because I'm terrible at sports, but like I you know, I always liked jeans and running around and always had like a skinned up knee or, or something and and I, I just remember my aunt being like very disappointed <laughs> that I was not like the girly girl you know that she could like buy dresses for or do their hair or any, like I was I've just never been that girl I've always been the like jeans and hoodie girl <laughs> well I wasn't really like the fashionista when I was little like when I was little I was like digging for worms and playing with our cats and animals. And um, then I, I got into snowboarding and and that kind of stuff. And I remember very distinctly getting like Junko jeans. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like really into those van sneakers. And the, um, the Junkos had like the huge legs. Yes. Yeah. So wide. Yeah. So, I, so that was like my style when I was little. <laughs> oh, I love that. 
I never had the Jenkos because I'm so tall. I'm five foot ten, and it always looked very odd on me. Like it looks like I was wearing some sort of like weird skirt or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a weird look. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would see people, and it would be like raining, and like the whole bottoms of them would be oh, all yeah. like wet and muddy. Just and I was filthy. like, that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. One of the things that I love about your brand and about what you do is your promotion of women in the pet industry. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk some about like why it's important to promote women for, you know, for you and why that's like what kind of one of your core values. So, yeah, so my on my podcast I I exclusively interview women in the pet industry. I've 200 and over 270 episodes and uh there's been one man who snuck on. Um, I didn't. I didn't know he was gonna be there, but he was. He and his mom owned a business, and I thought I was just interviewing her, but he was on it as well. So he's the only guy who's ever been on my show. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and I get pitches all the time from people like, "Would you want to interview our founder, Josh?" And I'm like, "Unless there's something I don't know about Josh, then no, I don't really." And and I think it is important to highlight women because I I just hear from listeners and from people all the time from women of all different ages and all different backgrounds and all different kind of interests and niche with niches within the pet industry that maybe someone's like 60 years old and they're like I never really thought I could do this so you know or maybe they're 20 or whatever and and age isn't like the only factor that matters but I just I think it's important you know, as they say, like representation matters. And I I think it's really important for women of all walks of life to see that they can pursue their interests if they're interested in working in the pet industry. You know, a lot of these types of careers, people say, oh, that's cute. Oh, you have, you're working with pets. That's nice for you. That's a good hobby. And you know, it really kind of diminishes what the contributions that we're making and and the work that we're doing and like the economic power that we have, really. And I think in the pet industry, it's interesting because if you look up kind of the gender split numbers that are available, which which I don't know how accurate these numbers really are, but you know, a lot of women who are in kind of the caregiving positions. So, you know, veterinarians, you know, women are on the rise in the percentages of veterinarians. Most like 80% of pet sitters and dog walkers are women. Uh, A lot of groomers are women and that kind of stuff. But if you look at like the leadership positions, the owners, and especially the leaders of like the big corporations, it is probably 80% men. So I I do think that it really matters and I'm always reinvigorated whenever I go to like some kind of uh, trade show and I just see how many men are in charge of things uh, or, you know, if I see who's who's quoted in an article and it's all men. Um, and so seeing those kinds of things really kind of reinvigorates me to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I love that. And I... I mean, I think you're important as showing that someone can make a full-time living being a woman in the pet industry that's doing what you're doing and being like the full-time dog mom, right? And like that's been inspiring to me that like, oh, this is possible. And my my journey might look different, my you know, my my niche might be different or whatever, but like it, it's important to to share that. And and so I it's always like really touched me. Like I always loved 
uh, again, I was always kind of like a daddy's girl, a little bit of like a tomboy. And, you know, like my dad is really into cars. And it was really cool to me when there's this race car driver named John Force and his daughters started driving for his race car team. And I got to go like we went to a drag race and met his daughter. And like it was very cool to me to see women being represented in such a male dominated field and uh football my my dad always coached my brother's football and at one point when I was like in middle school I was like I'm gonna be like the first NFL female coach or you know and uh and so like it was exciting to me to see like women on the sideline as reporters and we're starting to get one or two not head coaches at all but you know coaches like women popping up throughout the NFL and and I'm always like you know yeah that was me as a kid I, I always wanted to see that like if i had seen that as a kid maybe it would have you know inspired me to to be like oh this is really an option that i could do yeah i was just talking to somebody about i can't remember who i was talking to but they were talking about um in you know in school like what what do kids want to be when they grow up and you know when we were young you know the boys all want to be policemen and firefighter and whatever and the girls were like i want to be a teacher i want to be a mommy which is fine you know but it's just there you know it wasn't really given the opportunities like how many of the boys said i want to be a daddy or i want to be a teacher you know it, kind of, it goes both ways and unfortunately the most popular answer for american kids today what they want to be when they grow up is an influencer. <laughs> and I really want to tell them not that they're probably not listening to us, but don't do Please don't do that. Because <laughs> it's actually a lot harder than you think it is. And there's just a lot of challenges to that career path, as I have found out. So that is actually on my list of questions for you was, you know, you're very prolific on social media and I have seen you and you've talked about, I don't know if as much publicly or in our um, society group, kind of like your evolution of like working in more of like the influencer space where you're getting like brand sponsorships and, and, and what that looked like. And then there's a specific, like very, like it's a intentional purpose that you have shifted away from that. And I was wondering for those of us who think like, Oh, it would be great to be a dog influencer and I get to hang out with my dogs and take photos or something. Like, can you share a little bit about that and why you've transitioned away from it? Yeah, sure. So I hit it hard with with influencer stuff and and brand sponsorships, and um, a, a long time ago I, I started doing that with sponsored blog posts and sponsored Instagram posts. And you know, I tell people I over that time period, you know, it wasn't like this wasn't in one year, but over many years of doing it, I worked on over a hundred thousand dollars worth of influencer campaigns. And you know, and I had some people that would contract me for the whole year or for multiple years. And, you know, it was all great. But where things started to kind of shift and pivot for me was in the pandemic, really. And at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, everyone froze their marketing budgets. And so I was lucky, like, thank God, I'm so grateful that I had a couple of brands that I had signed a 12-month contract with in January when we didn't know what was happening, right. what was coming for us. <laughs> and so luckily, I had that um, guaranteed income and work to do for them. So I was really, really grateful for that. However, when when all the companies kind of started getting back into it, like their mar marketing budgets were frozen for a long time. And then, you know, there was just like a lot going on in our country in so many different ways that I just felt like 
promoting posts that didn't take into consideration like what was going on in the world that were just so um, kind of sanitized and purely promotional. Superficial. Yeah. It didn't resonate with me and it just felt – started to feel a little dirty. And um, and like this is no shade on anybody who's, who's doing this. And I still do do influencer work. I'm just really selective with what I do. And I have to make sure that it's not only is the campaign in alignment with my brand, but like that their company and their brand is in alignment with my values, you know? So I don't, I'm, I'm just really picky about, <laughs> about what I do now. And and one of the, the frustrations just to be like totally transparent is that back when I was starting out and doing influencer stuff and, and even back when I used to do social media consulting, I always loved working directly with the company. Uh, and when things were starting out, you could, you could talk right to the marketing person or sometimes you could talk talk right to the owner. Um, and it was just really easy to communicate and you could just be super clear about what they wanted and what you wanted and what the goals were and how you were going to achieve them and all that kind of stuff. And then as this industry has grown, now there's all these ad agencies that exist purely to coordinate influencer campaigns. And sometimes the people at those ad agencies, not always, but sometimes they don't know anything about dogs. They are charging this client some exorbitant rate to organize this campaign. And you're just like one of one of the cogs on the wheel, really. You don't really get to have – you don't get to build a relationship with the brand, really, because you're working through the ad agency. Um, and the ad agency really just cares about the numbers. They might not care – that you know, you reached one dog owner who changed their habits, or you, or you convinced one person to try this thing that saved their dog's life or gave them a better quality of life, or you know, that's what matters to me. If I get one message, like I got a comment from someone, I, I shared a snuffle mat uh, DIY, and she was like, "Would this be good for my 16 year old blind Chihuahua?" And I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to change your 16 year old blind Chihuahua's life! Like this is perfect." And so to know that. That one dog is having a really fun experience. That's great to me, but an ad agency does maybe not care right, right. about that. So that's kind of like some of the reasoning behind my shift in how um, I've changed. And not to mention that social media, the algorithms have changed so much that, you know, I used to get over a thousand likes on a post on Instagram and 20,000 views on reels. And now I get like 1500 views on reels. And so it is really stressful to me to, even though sometimes the brands don't care or the ad agencies don't care, they're going to pay your rate regardless because who knows, they want the content or that's what they've agreed on. It just stressed me out that I felt like I wasn't delivering and I wasn't, I wasn't doing the best that I could, but I what I was doing my best. Right. It's just that the system is not set up. Who, like when you put hashtag ad, I feel like you get less mm-hmm. views on things, but you're required by law to do that. And <sighs> it's just like, it, like it makes me stress out just thinking about it to think that someone would think I didn't do a good job. And yeah, that so <laughs> that's about like 42 reasons why um, I've kind of just shifted gears. And so I, that's why I'm always encouraging like in Wear Wagger Pete Society and other places, encouraging people who 
who want to be influencers or have a brand online is don't put everything in social media. Grow your email list, blog, do podcast, whatever, because this, you know, social media, it could disappear. One of the things that always stands out to me is like, you're such a great, you have great photos. I don't know whether you're taking them all or how you're doing all this. Great photos, great videos. This is where I struggle. My husband will tell you I am like literally the world's worst photographer that there is. He's like, do you not understand shadows? <laughs> and I'm like, clearly I don't. Like, <laughs> And I, I'm always just like amazed. Like it always stands out to me that you have like, everything's always well lit and just anyway, it's just, if you're not already following Tori on on Instagram like you have to go and, and follow her because it's just so inspiring to me and then also like oh mine will never look like that <laughs> but you know what is it's about you have to have balance because I am a little bit of a perfectionist about photos and uh, and videos especially lighting and so if some if there's not good lighting somewhere I'll be like I'm not even I'm not even gonna take a picture of this. <laughs> So, you know, sometimes I'll be out with some some dog friends and the dogs will be doing something cute and everyone's like, "Oh, I got to take a picture." I'm like, "It's not it's not going to look good." So, I'm not even bothering. <laughs> I take the pictures and have like, you know, thousands of just horrible half lit pictures. And then I'll take like five of the same thing cuz I'm like, "Well, maybe one of them will like turn out or, you know." And my husband's just like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Well, you t- taking five or using burst mode is definitely essential with dogs. <laughs> so does it ever make you nervous or how much like thought do you put in? Like, are you ever nervous about putting so much of yourself out there? You know, th- that again, like I, I have a lot of like privacy, you know, I'm also somebody that when I'm out in public, I like a big personal space bubble. Like I, I just... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, I can't ever imagine anybody like trolling you or, you know, or like trying to shame you. But like, do you, do you, have you had to deal with any of that? And does the concern about that affect how you show up online? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think about this a lot. And sometimes I feel like I'm not, you know, everyone's always like, you have to be so authentic online, be authentic, be you. And not that I'm not being authentic, but in order to protect myself, I kind of have to play a little bit of a character online. And so it's not like I have a character with a separate script. It's not like she's a different person than me, but I don't really share too much about my personal life. Like I would never, I don't, I don't feel comfortable sharing anything about my dating life or anything like that online. I was dating someone for 10 months last year and like nine months into it, some his like hand or foot was in a photo and everyone was like, what's happening? Who's this? What's that? And I was like, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> um, because there's just, yeah, there's certain aspects of my life that I just don't feel comfortable. And, and as, you know, being a woman online, I'm very – particular about what I wear in when I'm in photos and videos and stuff. So I don't like to wear anything like sexy or revealing uh, in any of my content. It's one, I don't really think it's like on brand for my brand, but I just am scared of kind of the attention that it would garner or the comments or just, I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable. So um, 
yeah, so I kind of I kind of have this version of myself online that, you know, one one of my best friends is like we should start a podcast because we just crack each other up all the time and I'm like if we had a podcast that was like our real life conversations, we would be canceled. <laughs> Cuz like you just can't sometimes with your when you're with your friends and you're joking about certain things or telling stories and stuff, it's not it's not what I would put online. You know, you just you have to be you have to like censor stuff. I think a little bit. So, I you know I try to share and like I share about you know the dog stories that we talked about earlier. And I'm so happy. I'll tell anybody about my business and why I changed this path and did this instead or whatever. But like anything too personal, I I really shy away from. And it's not because I've gotten any like negative comments or trolls or stalkers or anything. But like I don't want that, and right. so um, I just try to avoid that. Yeah, it it definitely affects me, and you know it's already like un- like not a natural setting for me, I guess, to be on social media. So when I do you know share something, it's like that's always in the back of my mind, and I think usually as long as you're not talking a whole lot about dog training, you, you avoid <laughs> most of the drama. <laughs> Well, so one one troll comment that I got that my sister and her friends just think is hilarious. Someone one time I was actually doing a sponsored campaign for Tractor Supply Company. So I I hired a photographer to because I had the budget for it for the campaign. Um, we took amazing, beautiful photos, and it was just like so great. And of course, I also work with Stella and Chewy's uh, dog food. And so the tractor supply campaign, I was like, oh, I bought some dog toys and brushes and these kind of – it wasn't about food. But some woman commented. She was like, "Uh, you treat Bert and Lucy differently. Lucy is sitting in the front seat of the car eating Stella and Chewy's and Bert's in the trunk and you're feeding him food from tractor supply. And I was like, you're – you're really way off base here. <laughs> I'm no good right now. <laughs> and um, it, my sister just thought it was the funniest thing. And she, like <laughs> she, a bunch of her friends follow me too. And so she like had to rush and tell them. And it's just like the funniest. It's just become a joke now amongst <laughs> us. <laughs> Sticking Bert in the backseat again. <laughs> yeah, Bert's in the trunk. And, you know, he's a rescue and you you give Lucy all the good stuff and he has all the bad stuff. I'm like, it's really not. That's not how it works. <laughs> I'm just shocked. <laughs> So I did want to talk some about Lucy and Bert. And I loved that a few weeks back, you had done podcast episodes, just solely dedicated to kind of telling Lucy's story and all about her and then telling Bert's story and all about him. And some of it I knew and some of it was new information to me. And I was just like, wow, I really love this. Thank you so much. I felt like I... I dedicated a half hour to each of them individually and there were still things that I didn't get to. <laughs> and one of the things that I love that you shared is and it's something that is important to me and that I hope always comes across, you know, in, in the conversations I have on the podcast is kind of like honoring each one of them and what they're into. 
And, you know, you have, they're both Labradors, but Lucy is the huge water dog. And Bert's like, nope, no, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and so you take Lucy out and do stand up paddleboarding and do these fun things with her that she'll enjoy. And then you do different things with Bert that he'll enjoy. And I, I just really like appreciate like anybody who's like honoring their dog's personality in that way. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I um, one of Bert's hobbies, which we're actually going to be doing uh, this Saturday, this weekend, is barn hunt. And we kind of got into that because I, I think I first saw my friend Jen from Long Haul Trekkers posting about doing it with her dog Sitka. And they were just maybe doing a barn hunt class or something. And uh, I was like, oh my God, this would be perfect for Bert because he, when we go hiking out in the woods, he is just nose to the ground and then he goes off and he comes back with like a deer leg or something. <laughs> and he's just like, his nose is like firing on all pistons at all times. Like his, his nose, he just finds things that, that Lucy, maybe she knows are there, but she just doesn't care to go like find them. I'm not, I'm not sure how the two of them like process smells differently. <laughs> but when I saw Barn Hunt, I was like, this is something that we have to do with Bert. And Lucy would probably be good at it. Um, someone just asked me if Lucy's ever done it, but she hasn't. Cause you know what? She has enough hobbies. She's a therapy dog. She does um, stand up paddleboarding with me. She just got her intermediate trick dog title at 11 years old, and we're working on the next one. And Bert, <laughs> he's got barn hunt. <laughs> he doesn't have as many hobbies as she does. So we're leaving barn hunt just for him. So I don't think I've told you this yet, but you had actually inspired me and I have found a place where I can take Nino for barn hunt. So we are going to do that with him Yay! in the near future. Oh, I'm so excited. I, You know, with Nino, the trauma with him is he hates the car. And so it is like a little bit of a drive. And so that we, we were trying to find like a good time because it has to if, if Nino goes somewhere, it's like my husband's got to be there. It's like the whole family unit has to go. So, but yeah, I, I'm really excited to try this with him because I, he, his nose is amazing. And we play a lot of games around the house and the yard where we, you know, hide things and have him sniff them out. And he's so good at it. And, you know, if, if Nino's like trying to get under the sofa, it's like, we know we drop something under there. Mm -hmm. There's always something under there. And, and so I, I want to see how he does with those. I'm so excited. Well, like, I just never really thought I would be uh, hunting for rats on my weekends. <laughs> Uh, but no, just I did. I never really thought I would be doing dog sports because Bert's, not, you know, he's not purebred. He's not registered anywhere. He, I rescued him when he was like five or six or six and a half or something like that, and he's not like overly trained in anything really. And just what's neat about barn hunt that I that I think a lot of people don't realize is that like there and there's fast cat and there's you know all these other sports that you can get into with dogs where your dog doesn't have to be like this super athlete you know fast cat's probably not <laughs> super great for senior dogs because you have to be fast but um barn hunt like Bert you know he can kind of like mosey around and like sniff here and sniff there and you know it's it's really you know, it's it's a great activity for dogs of all abilities. And the woman who runs our local club, one of her dogs is uh, is definitely a senior. I don't know how old her dog is, but she moves really slow. 
<laughs> and she just kind of goes in. Sometimes she doesn't find any rats, but they just do it for fun. And and that's what I love about it. It's like, even though it's a competition, like it's really just for fun. And you had shared, I mean, Bert is such a character. <laughs> I didn't even know some of this stuff. Uh, so he's actually been on Good Morning America. Is that right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Actually, okay. So some do, some good things do come from social media because a producer from GMA messaged me. Uh, this was in the summer of 2020, I think. That's when people were like, we're going back to work. Um, and then they were like, no, you're not. And some GMA producer messaged me and she was like, oh my God, I love your dogs. I want to get them on TV somehow. Is there any chance one of them has separation anxiety? And I was like, oh yes. <laughs> Bert does for sure. She's like, do you have any videos? Nobody, like a camera didn't come to my house. I just submitted videos. That's, I guess the thing about the news now is it's just like cell phone videos. Yeah. <laughs> and so Bert, when I first got him and even still now, <laughs> He jumps up on all the way up on the kitchen counters. This blows my mind because he's how much does he weigh? Like 90 he's pounds? He's like 90 pounds. <laughs> uh, and I was like, how is this possible? Uh, and I, I set up my phone and uh, like pretended to leave the house to kind of hidden camera, capture what was going on. He just like levitates up there. Like it, he doesn't, it's like no effort whatsoever. And it's from wood floor in my kitchen. So it's like, there's no traction. Like he just is like, whoop. And is he, like um, running start or anything. No, just from standing. And he's just like, whoop. and it's hilarious. So yeah, that, <laughs> that clip was on good morning America. <laughs> That's amazing. So talking about all these dog sports and, and all these things that you do with your dogs uh, was making me think, you know, over the last year, you have shared a lot about your journey and learning more about canine enrichment. And I love this topic. I love this term. I love that there's so many people talking about it. So can you tell us just a little basic uh, explanation of what canine enrichment means and, and some of the things you've learned in, in your journey with this? Yes. So I've been just interested in canine enrichment for a while. And then like a year and a half ago, I was like, I wonder if I could get certified in this. Or I don't I don't even know how it occurred to me, but I, I found a certification through Dognostics is the name of the like dog training educational company that runs this. They have a bunch of courses on all kinds of different things. And they have this certification uh, to become a canine enrichment technician. So I just finished it, and um, it was so comprehensive, the course. I learned a lot. But basically, canine enrichment is anything that you are adding to make something better. So the, like the definition of enrichment is you have to be adding something um, to improve the quality or the experience or something like that. And so with canine enrichment, a lot of times it's usually brain games is what we think of, or food puzzles like Kongs or Topples or Nina Otteson puzzles or snuffle mats or all these different things that you can do. But it's not all food-based. I know some dogs aren't food-motivated or they're on a diet or have allergies. So there's actually a lot of other things you can do that have nothing to do with food. Uh, and, and one of Lucy's favorite enrichment activities is a little game that we call sit and watch the world go by. <laughs> so we go we kind of we rotate our our walk routes in the mornings but one of the walks we do is we walk 
to the park and then we just sit on the bench at the park. <laughs> and Lucy loves to sit there and just watch the world go by. She sees squirrels, people, other dogs, strollers, cars, whatever. Um, and just like sniffing the air. Like she, y- you don't have to actually like be moving. You can just be sitting there and it is enriching to your dog because there's so much to look at and so much information to take in. So yeah, so it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Canine enrichment can be really inexpensive or free like that. And they can just be like little things that you add in. Um, so it doesn't have to be, you don't have to take on a new dog sport. <laughs> but you know, even things like stand-up paddleboarding is very enriching because one, you're going to a very different environment, like the middle of a lake, <laughs> very different place <laughs> for your your dog to be. But also the, the balance of the uneven, um, unsteady surface that they're standing on or sitting on, kind of watching birds or fish or whatever go by and other boats. So there's all kinds of different canine enrichment that you can do. Uh, and and the whole reason really to do this is because as dogs get older, they can experience cognitive decline. And as, as long as you keep your dog mentally sharp, they are going to remain younger longer and hopefully live a long and happy life. So yeah, you know, actually, what was funny, one of the questions I had is, is it more than just food? <laughs> It is. I promise. <laughs> Except I have Labradors and so it's really easy for us to do food motivated things cuz they'll do anything for a small crumb. So you had talked about a snuffle mat. Can you give us like a really quick explanation if somebody's not familiar with what that is? Yes. So a snuffle mat it can be a lot of things, but basically I make a DIY one. I just made a new one. Um, back in the pandemic, I, I made my first snuffle mat and I just had to use things that were lying around my house because it was during lockdown and you couldn't get stuff. So the first one I made was a piece of cardboard from a box and I just poked holes like every two inches and I took an old fleece blanket and I cut it up into strips and then I just would st- stick the the strips were maybe like seven inches long and I would stick them through and tie a knot all on the top side. Then when it's all filled up with all the little strips, you can sprinkle treats or what I usually do is a couple times a week, I just do the dog's dinner in there Um, because they they usually eat kibble. I know, I know, I know, Um, but they do. And uh other for other meals I mix in raw and other and other things but usually I'll find some meal that's just going to be kibble and I'll put it in a snuffle mat and so it's really great for them because they get to use their nose to kind of sniff and find things um, it's also a little bit of a cognitive puzzle because they have to think about you know where the, the treats are and and find them and kind of solve that even though it's not what you would think of a traditional puzzle. It kind of is. So you can make a DIY version like that cardboard one. I recently did one using a sink mat from the dollar store that costs like $1.25. Um, and it made a really great snuffle mat that we just used last night. But also you can just buy um, one of those microfiber bath mats that has like all the little nubby things. Mm. You could just buy a bath mat and you could use that. Or if you really don't have any of those things, you could go out in the grass and you could put your dog's food or some treats in the grass and have them go search. So it's really just, you know, dogs instinctually and naturally love to scavenge and search for things. And so it's just something that 
is is really healthy for them and um, something that they just naturally love to do. And I, I think some people who don't get it, you know, there's some other like Bindi's bucket list. Um, it's a big canine enrichment account. Yeah. And I know she gets a lot of comments on her TikTok that's like, why are you making your dog work for their food? Just give it to them in a bowl. Like you're being cruel. <laughs> and I hope that those people can can learn a little bit from all of our accounts because the dogs actually really like searching for it. It's more fun for yeah. them. Yeah, it's absolutely fun for them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this is what makes me not want to be on social media when I hear things like that. <laughs> well, you know, I only see those comments because she'll reply to the comment with a video. And I think that that is not a very good trend. Like, I see so many creators responding to negative comments with a new video. That's, I mean, if that's what they want to do, <laughs> then good for them. But I choose not to reply to any negative comments. It's just usually if someone says something negative to you, you're not going to convince them otherwise. Yeah. And so I just let them sit and I don't reply to them at all. That's always sort of in my MO. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's been fascinating to me to learn like how much of a dog's brain is taken up with smelling and you know like how their sense of smell works so differently from ours and I mean they just every the way they just you know we use our eyes to see you know obviously they have eyes but their vision works differently than ours yes. like and it's just been fascinating and and I I just love this idea of trying to you know do things that are fun for them and and honor their dogness you know and 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 so I love sharing that message and I, I love the content that you have shared about canine enrichment Thank you so much. Yeah, and I was I was just over at my sister's house recently and she's got two boys who are like 4 and 7 and their friends one of their friends was over and they really wanted to play ball in the backyard but the dog couldn't be outside while they were playing ball because she always gets the ball and pops it. <laughs> um so you know, but the dog was like dying to be outside with everyone. And so I said, okay, kids, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a scavenger hunt for Frankie. So I gave them each a little bowl of little pieces of treats and food and stuff. And I had the kids hide it around the yard. And then we let the dog out. And I was like, okay, now you can kind of help her because she'd never done it before. So I was like, walk with her and kind of point out where the things are and, and help her find it. And it was just like a really, it, it was an example of a canine enrichment thing you could do with kids that I had shared recently on a webinar, but it was just an idea. I had never actually done it. And so I was really excited to see like how effective it was. You know, it was a safe way for the kids and the dog to kind of play together. And then the kids kind of their attention span <laughs> expired and they were like, I'm over it. Um, but Frankie was still out there searching for stuff in the grass. And it was just a great way to keep her also like occupied and and away from like what the kids were doing. So it was just like it was a win-win. It was like such a great activity for them to do together. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so, do you want to tell us all the different ways that people can find you, work with you, learn from you? Yes, thank you. The best thing is go to my website, which is wearewagrepeat.com. So it's w e a r wagrepeat.com and across social media. I'm usually at T Mystic since Tori Mystic. And yeah, those are those are the best ways to find me. 
I am on TikTok. My account there is Wear Wag Repeat Podcast. I don't don't know why I did that because it's different than anything else. (laughs) But hey, you know, whatever. you'll, You'll find me. The best place is just go to my website and start there. And you have content for both pet parents and for people who are in the pet industry as well. Yes. So the best thing, if you go to my website, is right on the homepage, there's two separate like boxes. One says pet parents, start here. And one says pet pros, start here. And that'll kind of lead you to little curated pages I put together of my favorite posts or podcast episodes for each one um, and just different kind of links and recommendations. And yeah, I, I, I kind of cover both sides. All the things. I love it. I love it. I try to. <laughs> So is there anything exciting on the horizon for you that uh, you want to share with us? That's a good question. (laughs) I don't know if I have anything exciting. (laughs) Well, lately, I actually, one of the most exciting things I've been working on lately is I hosted a mastermind group to help other pet pros create their first online course because I love having online courses and you know, I, I love taking them. I love teaching them, all this kind of stuff. So I had four petpreneurs sign up and they're all very different niches. And I've been helping them create their first online courses. And part of the kind of program was that I would then share and promote all their courses to my audience because I have, like you said, the pet parents and the pet pros. So their courses are coming out in June. Uh, and so I'm really, really excited. That's what I'm most excited about is sharing those, which is, you know, it's not even my own thing, but I'm just, I'm excited for them. <laughs> and um, all their courses are really great and they're going to help so many people, both petpreneurs and pet parents. And and that's why we do what we do. So that that's what I'm excited about. I love it. I love it. Tori, thank you so much for your time today. I always hope that you know that you have just been like a huge cheerleader and like major inspiration to me and all that I'm doing. And uh, you're a very special lady and, and I'm grateful to you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much. You're really making me feel very loved and appreciated today. So I thank you. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I did want to tell you this one quick Tori story. So in Tori's monthly membership group called the Wear Wag Repeat Society, several months ago, she had posted a link to an online assessment test called the Clifton Strengths Test. And if you like taking online personality tests or the Myers-Briggs test, this is sort of in that same vein. And I do think it costs a couple dollars, but it gives you your top five strengths and it gives you like some pretty detailed information about what these strengths mean and how you can use them in your work and in the world. And I'm just such a nerd for any of that kind of stuff. So of course I had to do it. But Tori shared her results and one of her results was basically that one of her biggest strengths was essentially being a cheerleader for others. And this did not at all come as a surprise to me and probably doesn't to anybody else who knows Tori also. She really is just a genuinely kind and supportive person who is a cheerleader for all that you're doing and wants to offer you her knowledge and resources to help make what you're doing even better. 
And it's hard to find people like that in the world. And it's definitely hard to find people like that on social media. Back in 2021, when I was still trying to get on a good regular schedule and find my footing with doing this podcast, Tori had included me on her list of top podcasts to listen to while walking the dog. And that came at a time when I think I was struggling some with whether I was going to be able to keep this podcast going or not. So it was really a huge motivator to me at a time when I really needed it. So I'll have links in the show notes for you so that you can go find Tori online. Make sure you're following her in all the places. And also make sure to check the link in the show notes so that you can check out all the awesome photos that Tori shared with us of her, Lucy, and Bert, who I can assure you is not at all treated like a second-class citizen in her house. Before we wrap this episode up, I want to just mention something to you that's really on my heart right now. I got a call over this past weekend from a friend of mine whose father passed away in a very unexpected manner. And it really has just made me think about that phrase that I hope that you've heard that says, be kind, because you never know what somebody else is going through. And I think of our dogs who are always there to greet us at the end of every day with a happy face and a wagging tail. And no matter what we're going through, it just makes our day a little bit better to have them to come home to. And over these past few days, trying to be a steadying presence for my friend who's going through one of the most difficult and unexpected situations in her life, I'm really just wishing we could all be a little more dog. And I try to always be an example of that in the world myself. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.